There are interesting people in disc golf, and there are boring people in disc golf. Here's one of each on the Fish Golf Broadcast. On this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast, I sat down with Andrew Presnell. Andrew, what you thinking about? Thinking about a lot of stuff. Can you be more specific? Uh, some disc golf stuff, some non-disc golf stuff. Okay, well, let's start with the disc golf stuff. Uh, in my opinion, you're an absolute maniac. You see a B-tier seven hours away where you could win $412 if you win, and you sign up and you go do the darn thing. Uh, I'd say seven hours is probably outside my, uh, my range of what I'd drive. Usually... It's about three and a half hours or four hours is going to be the max that I'm kind of willing to drive to go play a weekend B tier. And then also it kind of depends on the the added money if it's going to be worth it. But I live in kind of the center of the, the country, so I have a lot of options, whether it's Arkansas, St. Louis, Kansas City, or even my hometown has a bunch of B tiers. So mm-hmm. I like hitting those on the, the off weeks of the Pro Tour event so I can spend some time at home and then go try to make some extra money on the on the Saturday and keep my game fresh. For sure. And you also will happily extend your season after the Pro Tour Championships and such doing the same thing. Definitely. I'm I'm not playing like every weekend after the Pro Tour Championship, but I still probably play like anywhere from 5 to 10 events after the Pro Tour Championship uh all the way into December. So, the how, off season for me is not as long as others. <laughs> how how miserable do those winters get? Uh, I mean, they get pretty bad. I, I don't know. I, I feel like the bad or like cold weather and the bad weather, I feel like I try to not let that affect me as much as other players. I, I kind of over prepare for bad weather. And I think that definitely helps. Uh, what, what's your strategy for doing so? Like, is it just better clothing for cold weather? I definitely, I, I wear two under armors plus my tournament shirt. Do you want I to have. tell us about your underwear? Everybody's been asking about your underwear. It's just regular boxers. I don't know. Nothing. No fancy underwear. Is there a Patreon tier where they get your boxers? Uh, there should be. Okay. <laughs> but, I, look, man, I, you're interested in getting money by driving to B tiers. I'm trying to give you a, a simpler way to do some game-worn gear. Not a bad idea. Okay. So continue with your... Your so yeah, cl- the, the cold weather, I, I layer up double Under Armour tournament shirt, wear some warm sweatpants that I've had since college, uh, college soccer days. And then I, I wear the big winter glove on the off hand on my left hand. And then I like just load up my pocket with hand warmers for my right hand. Mm-hmm. And I'll wear like a big, big beanie and yeah, that. That kind of just keeps me warm. I've played in some like super windy and cold conditions, and I'm I'm usually doing pretty okay with that setup. Do you feel like that prepares you for the adverse conditions we get on the pro tour? I I don't think we see as cold of weather on the pro tour just because we're trying to play the warmer spots. Sure. Um, even like at the beginning of the year, Vegas and Texas, but you know we do hit some cold stuff, and I will dress up basically the same for those. Uh, but the, you know, the temperature, I'm not feeling it as much as the pro tour. 
or yeah. as as the B tiers yeah. than I would on the Pro Tour. But but we definitely do get some you know very windy weather in in those early season events in particular. Yep. Uh, it's more like temperature, I would say, is is when I really dress up or not. The wind, you know, if it's cold and the wind happens, that's really going to suck. But, I mean, if it's just, like, cold with no wind, I feel like I don't have to dress up as much to stay warm. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, you mentioned that you played college soccer. Uh, what was your experience with that? Yeah, so I'll start a little before that. I played... Um, just like club ball growing up, and I kind of dedicated to one sport uh, starting in the sixth grade and played the club ball, going to like Kansas City and St. Louis tournaments, and a little bit farther out once I got in high school. Had a pretty good high school career and then signed to play in college. Um, played at Westminster College, which is a private college about 20 minutes um, outside of Mizzou in Missouri, mm-hmm. and played all four years college ball. And my senior year, uh, we had the best season in our program's history. And we went to the, the NCAA tournament, like the big countrywide knockout tournament. And we, we won our first two games to get to the Sweet 16. And I think that was the first time any team of our conference has ever won a game in the national tournament. And we ended up winning two that year. So we made it pretty far for a just kind of a no-name team. Um, but we had, we had a lot of seniors and it was, it was incredibly fun. And I'm, I really do miss playing like organized competitive soccer. What was it about that team in particular that, uh, was poised for a deep run in the tournament? Um, I think, I think our coach had a really good game plan. We kind of played different than a lot of other teams. We, we ran, I'm trying to think of our formation. We did like a five, three, two, I believe is our formation, which is, we definitely played a little bit more defensive, um, but we high pressed the other team and made them turn the ball over. And then we just kind of possess it out of the back. I played center back. So I was like the center guy of the five people in the back. And so I was kind of the last, last line of defense before you got, got to the goalie. And, um, yeah, we, we just had a different play style. I think that would catch teams off guard. Uh, and that definitely was successful for us. For sure. Uh, what, what are some things that you miss about playing on a team or, or playing that sport in particular? Definitely, you know, like the, the team aspect as far as like your friends and then you're in college. So I, I lived with four of my teammates um, mm-hmm. in a townhouse. And so like that was really fun. And it's kind of nice having a like structure where you have to go to practice. So it's kind of keeping you honest, you know, disc golf is you practice whenever you want to practice, but (laughs) the team sport is you show up at 6am like we did practice from, you know, six to seven 30 and then go to the 8am class. But I definitely miss, definitely miss that, that friendship and, you know, just going on the road trips and all that good stuff. What team knocked you out? Uh, they're, I think they're called Loris. Lor- Lor- like, like, like the L- sloth kind of thing? I don't know if, the, I don't know what that like is. Slow Loris is a, an actual animal that is slow. I think they spelled it L-L-O-R-I-S college, Loris college. They were out of. You got beat to a, scra- a bad Scrabble board. 
That yeah, those would be crappy letters. Um, but they were they're out of like Dubuque, Iowa. They knocked us out in the Sweet Sixteen, and that was to this day probably the coldest I've ever been in my entire life. Was playing that soccer game because it was it's it was at Dubuque, Iowa in late. November, I'd want to say probably a little bit before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and the temperature I believe was like maybe single digits or like in the teens, and then the wind chill put it below zero, and I'm playing in like kind of short soccer shorts and just the uniform and an Under Armour. And did you I, not have the option to layer up additionally? You could, but that's I never did with soccer. I just kind of kept it you know, as minimal layers as you can. So you're a little bit more free feeling. Um, yeah, I'd rather be free than warm. (laughs) Usually when you're running around for 90 minutes, it keeps you warm, but that game was just the biggest exception. Like (laughs) they, I remember they rented like heaters for the benches and, and, uh, the turf was, frozen over so you know like when you walk on concrete with cleats you can kind of feel the individual pegs Uh poking into your into your foot so it was like that because it had like maybe misted or iced over i don't know what happened but like when you stepped onto the turf your your studs didn't sink in it sounds terrible like that seems like a great way to just blow out your knee it was it was rough and i i remember my mouth being so cold i can't like talk and give out commands because mm-hmm. I couldn't feel my face, it was it was the weirdest thing. But it's just funny that that's my last organized soccer game I'll probably ever play in my life. That actually like <laughs> means something, and it was such an experience. Uh, are there any comparable times that you were like that miserable playing disc golf? Like Waco last year kind of sucked. Yeah, Waco did suck. Uh, I think. There's one in Wichita that I played in maybe in 2019 or 18, but it was cold and rainy, and I had one of my good friends caddying for me, and he bailed like six or seven holes in, and I did not blame him one bit because it was so <laughs> miserable. He's, he's just like, dude, I got to get out of here. Um, you know, that that one sticks out to me in my head, and gosh, I'm sure there's some other ones, but I just can't think of it off the top of my head. Sure. I I know for me and like missing ultimate teams, there's a real unity in like persevering through those crummy conditions, win or lose. Right. Um, Do you do you ever like talk to your old college teammates and like remember the good times, tell lies about them? Yeah. uh, So one of my best friends, like all the way through high school and stuff, we actually went we graduated high school together and went and played college together. And he's still a good friend of mine that I see all the time. Um, and then I've seen a couple, couple of the other players here and there, but really haven't stayed in, you know, like constant contact with many of them. Sometimes, you know, they'll reach out to me or I'll reach out to them for the occasional, you know, whatever it is. But um, are any of them still playing uh, sports professional or otherwise, or are you the last I, remaining professional athlete on your? I don't believe so. Team? I don't believe so. It's probably me. Hey, <laughs> way to go! There we go. <laughs> um, I heard something interesting about you uh, dating back to high school as well. Uh, 
you don't drink soda, caffeine. What, yep. What's the what were the ramifications here? So it's from a bet, a bet that I had with my buddy who I graduated and went to the same college with. I think it was after club soccer practice in fifth or sixth grade, and we had a random bet who could go longer without drinking soda. And uh, so, soda specifically, soda, soda specifically. And I am still going, you know, this is probably, I forget which year it is, but it's probably close to 20 years now, somewhere between 15 and 20 years, mm-hmm. whatever that math is, where I have not had any soda. And then additionally, like I don't drink coffee, don't drink tea. So don't drink energy drinks. Are Basically you- all caffeine is cut out of my diet so the soda emanates from this bet what what about the other stuff the other stuff i just never drank to begin with and why start now yeah like i've i've never had a sip of coffee in my life never had tea don't really have any desire to i basically just stick to stick to water as far as what i drink and uh your buddy has he had soda in the interim oh, yeah. time? He gave up after like a month, I think. So you're just running up so the I'm score just, right now? That's I'm very just, unsportsmanlike. Yeah, I'm running up the score. Hey, I think it definitely, uh, this definitely helped me and it saved some money. Uh, in what way do you think it's helped you? Uh, I know I, I will admit that I don't have a very good food diet. And so I think maybe having a good liquid diet in some ways might make up for that okay um but i think it's helped me like that and then i just don't order drinks when i go out and you know go to a restaurant or anything like that save some money you know that builds up over the last 15 years i'm sure it's saved me thousands of dollars (laughs) (laughs) and you kind of have to count pennies when you're driving thirty thousand miles a year huh yeah it's a lot of driving I'm MJ, and I listen to the Fish Disc Golf Broad. Yeah. Ah, broad. I, li- I like that. The broad guy, I like how you did that. I'm MJ, and I listen to the Fish. Oh, goddamn. I'm MJ, and I listen to the Fish Golf Broadcast. That's a tongue twister when you try to say it. All right. I'm MJ, and I listen to the Fish Disc Golf Broadcast while I hang out on the course. He just got more mad about doing this segment than he did on the course today. He's correct about that. If you like where this show is headed, stick around for part two. We'll never barrage you with 11 minutes of droning external ads to start the show. So please support the Fish Golf Broadcast by visiting discgolfbra.com for hats and other apparel. Fish stamp discs are available at fishdiscgolf.com and daddydiscgolf.com. And you can save 10% on upperparkdiscgolf.com with the code ANDREW10 on backpacks and other items. And now, more lies and outrageous claims from our guest, met with calm reason by Fish. So everybody loves a good travel horror story, and you have one from the 2022 season. I do. So this was when I was flying back from Portland last year, I believe. 
do you usually fly out to the West Coast, get shuttled around, and then fly back home? I have the last three years. I just have not worked up the courage to make that drive to California and then up to Portland and then back home. Uh, I think especially since you're so centrally located, it makes sense when DDO or Ledgestone or something is the next thing coming, right? Exactly. So I can just fly home and then it's like a four-hour drive to DDO or something. Okay, so you're flying back from Portland. So I'm, I'm flying back from Portland and I... My brother lives an hour and a half north of Denver in Fort Collins. And so I had a connecting flight from Portland to Denver. And my plan was to spend two or three days with my brother and then fly from Denver back home. And my flight was delayed in Portland for whatever reason, for a couple minutes or 15 minutes. Get to Denver. I land in Denver at like one in the morning or something. And I have a schedule, or I had a shuttle booked that's going to take me from the airport up to Fort Collins so my brother didn't have to drive down and pick me up. Yeah. And so we were delayed with the plane. We sat on the tarmac for what seemed like forever before we could actually, you know, like dock onto the jetway and get off the plane. And I'm looking at my watch and stuff. I'm like, gosh, this shuttle's going to leave. And I called the shuttle company and I said, hey, my flight was delayed. I just landed. Like, I'm coming. Please don't leave. Because this is at like 1... I think the shuttle was going to leave at like 1.30 or something. Yeah. And so I called them and they they said, okay, we'll, we'll give you like a five-minute buffer. But we, ha- we have to leave at like that. Because there's other people on the shuttle and it's yeah. super late. And you can't make everybody wait. And so if you've been to the Denver airport, you have to like take the the subway or whatever little Um, guitar chords yeah all the way through to the main gate where you get your luggage and stuff and that took forever and so i i found the the shuttle where the exit where the shuttle was and i ran out there before i got my bag and i said i'm here don't leave i'm just waiting on my bag and and this driver is strung out it's well after midnight yes this driver is ready to go because he looks at me and said i'm leaving right now he was Shutting the door, as he said, I'm leaving right now. I said, you can't leave. Please don't leave. And he's just like, he looks at his watch and said, I'll give you one minute. <laughs> okay. Did, <laughs> one minute to find my bag and then get back there. Did you negotiate with a crisp 20 or anything? Nope. I He, he was ready to go. And I could tell everybody on the shuttle was ready to go. More crisp so, 20s. I, uh, I just said, I guess I'm missing the shuttle. And I knew there was another one you could book that would go at like 5 a.m., but I really didn't want to sit at the airport for four hours. Of course not. So whatever, I'm just like, I guess I missed it. Go back to the uh, baggage claim, and I call my brother, and I tell him what happened, and I'm talking to him, and I'm just like, yeah, I guess I'll just get the the 4 or the 5 a.m. shuttle. And then uh, I hang up, and this guy next to me, he goes... He's like, are you a disc golfer? Because I had my, my carry-ons my disc golf bag. He's like, you're a disc golfer, right? I was like, yeah. And so he's like, are you needing a ride somewhere? I'm just like, yeah. The, I'm, like, I'm supposed to go to Fort Collins. <laughs> he goes, I'll take you. Oh, yeah. He goes, I'll, I'll gladly take you. I was like, There's a lot what? of competing factors here. Like, There's the desperation of, I do need a ride, but is he manipulating me? He's a stranger. <laughs> He seems to like disc golf. He, yeah, I can't remember if he knew or if he knew who I was or not. I can't remember if he said my name or not. Called you Joel Freeman? 
probably. <laughs> um, but he offered to take me, and I was, like you said, desperate, didn't really have any other ideas of what I could do. And um, he's just like, yeah, I'll take you. And I'm like, are you sure? I'm like, that's an hour and a half away. Like, cause he lived in Denver and I was like, it's one and that's an hour and a half. He's like, yeah, man, no problem. No problem. I just got to drop my wife off first. He's picking me up and then I'll take you up there. I was like, okay. So we're driving to his house and like, for some reason we just get stuck in the worst traffic jam on the interstate at two in the morning. Just why dead still dead stop traffic. I don't know if it's construction or what. But we were just like sitting there for like 20 minutes and I'm just, you should have like life. walked ahead and tried to find the shuttle. <laughs> I, I was hating life. And, uh, we actually like, there's nobody behind us. And so we kind of like got in the shoulder and like started going backwards on the interstate to see if we could find a turnaround and we couldn't. So we just like got back in line and waited and we finally got through, but I don't think I got to my brother's house till like 4am or something. It was just pretty bad horror story and just when traveling plans don't go the way that you originally planned it just kind of throws you off and especially at two in the morning when there's really no other options (laughs) uh did you give homeboys some discs oh yeah i sent him a good care package when i got home and he told me i didn't have to do it but i was like that's the least i could possibly are you kidding (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I, i sent him some discs and some pens and yeah i think uh yeah, just a good disc golfer in the disc golf community doing a doing a good deed. So, well, cool. For, fortunate that you were uh, carrying your was it an upper park bag? At that yeah, time? yeah, yeah, upper park bag, and he he recognized me and heard I needed a ride. So, it's just the good disc golf community. All right. Well, that's pretty neat. <laughs> um, so, you've traveled around with mostly yourself, but also like Clemens, Jordan Castro, a few other folks. What do you prefer? Do you prefer traveling with people or solo? I think there's merits to both, right? I would say if it's 12 hours or more, I would rather go with somebody else or have them ride with me. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's under 12 hours, I feel like I can do that drive, no problem. And it is kind of nice just being by yourself so you can do what you want to do when you want to do it and don't really have to worry about the person you brought along, you know, or when, like if they need more practice time or have other people they want to yeah, see and play and with. Yeah. Cause I mean like right now I flew up to Portland and I'm just kind of relying on rides from you and Proctor and Eric and it's just feel like I don't want to inconvenience you guys for, for anything. But I, uh, I definitely prefer going by myself if it's not too far, just to have that freedom of, you know, do what you want to do. Yeah. Well, going back to you being a maniac, I think I remember hearing a story about you getting bounced from the Pro Tour Championship and doing a, a more than 12-hour drive. Yep. That I've actually done that twice. Why? Uh, why not? Again, why? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe how also. How? So the first time I did it, I want to say it was the 2020 season, and it was the Kansas City Wide Open had got postponed because of COVID to later in the year, and it was a Saturday-Sunday event, and I played the Pro Tour Championship in Charlotte in Charlotte on Thursday, and I think I advanced, and I played Friday, 
I told myself if I get eliminated on Friday, then I can drive through the night and make the Kansas City wide open. And uh, got eliminated. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going to do this. And so I, I left Charlotte probably 7 o'clock p.m. Charlotte time. and it's drove, a lot of I-40. Drove to Nashville, stayed with uh, the Music City Open director or tournament director, Zach. And I think I slept from maybe like 1 a.m. to 4.30 and then got in the car and drove the remaining like six or seven hours back home. And I think I slept for a little bit. And then I think my tea time for the wide open was like real late, like 2.30 or 3 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And so I, I slept maybe uh, like 10 to noon and then left and then got up to Kansas City and played the wide open. And... I was incredibly sleep deprived no. and I, and I did not play good. And I was like, why did I rush all the way here for this? Well, and it was like 40 mile an hour wins. Yeah. So what kind of expectations do you have going into that? Is, is it I just was a higher like, rated player? So I expected to win. Okay. I, I don't, I don't really sleep much anyway. And I feel like I only have to sleep a couple hours to function totally fine. And so I didn't think it'd be an issue, but I don't think I slept very well in my two stops in Definitely was was kind of just mentally drained, and the eyes were heavy, and didn't play good. So okay. now, that kind of stunk. Peeling back the turn, the the curtain, listener. Uh, let's assume that this tone is good foreshadowing. Well, clearly you learned for the next time. Did not. I did it again in twenty twenty one. Same thing. Got eliminated. And it was an A tier just outside of St. Louis, St. Charles Open. And same exact thing. I drove and stayed at stayed in Nashville and then drove to St. Louis, got to St. Louis about forty five minutes before my tea time. <laughs> well with it, timed it out real good. That's just enough time for a nap. Yeah. And I I I remember feeling much better for that tournament and I shot I shot the hot round the first round playing a course blind. So I felt pretty good about that. Got a good night's sleep and then played a, the second round the next day blind. I think I tied for the hot round and then was in the lead. And then third day ended up winning by one. So that trip was worth it. One in a, one in a tier for grinding that drive through the night. <laughs> <laughs> so that year is worth it. The year before, not so much. Yeah. Um, so playing blind, what's your philosophy on that? Gosh, I actually sometimes feel like I play better blind. Um, it's Why? it's hard to say that for the pro tour courses because you really need to know landing zones and what side of the fairway you want to be on. And that's stuff you can really only learn in a practice round, I feel like. But shorter courses, like for B tiers or like, you know, a shorter A tier course where it's par threes, you can see the basket. Sometimes I feel like I just play better blind. Um, you see the shot, hit the shot. It, exactly. Um, sometimes I'll throw a great shot in a practice round, and then I get to my my tournament round. And I'm like, okay, I threw it on this angle, this speed, and this height, and then I kind of think about it too much versus seeing the shot and throwing the shot mm-hmm. first time. So. I, I definitely feel like I've I've played some blind rounds this year and I've done pretty well. So I don't know. Maybe the B tiers 
I'm just going to kind of play blind from now on. And <laughs> I mean, I, I think the simplicity of your game kind of lends itself to that. Like in general, you're throwing mostly overstable things on baby flexes or hyzers and it's all backhands. Yep. So that like the options that you're presenting to yourself are limited, yeah. right? I just know I'm throwing a backhand and yeah, I just kind of need to know, know the distance with the rangefinder to <laughs> know which disc I'm going to use and then just throw the disc. Do the dang thing. Yeah. Uh, so you're rated like 10, 20 something? 10, 28 currently. Okay. What's your forehand rating? I, well, I now have the most underrated forehand on the tour, Ooh. in my opinion. Okay. Because people expect a zero, and I give them like a 65 Okay. out of 100. Yeah. So that's like 65 points above what the expectation is. Yeah, I guess fundamentally, if people are expecting anything better than a 35, it can't be more underrated than yours. Yeah. Okay. That's that's what I'm saying. Um, um, okay, my forehand rating, I if I played a pro tour course only forehand, I would probably... <sighs> probably low 900s, I would say. Mm-hmm. I just don't have the distance. I feel like the consistency is getting there. But once you tell me to throw it more than 300 feet, that's where they kind of start getting a little squirrely. So what's that journey been like to add the forehand to your game? It's been really good. And I still don't throw the forehand as often as I should. Even like today, this first round at Cascade, I had a pretty clear forehand, but I was like, oh, I'll just throw a little backhand turnover. Mm-hmm. And then I hit a tree, and then it went sailing the wrong direction. But um, adding it to the game, like so far this year, when I've I've when I've had to throw it, I feel like it's been okay. Um, I haven't really uh, I haven't worked up the courage to throw them when it's like gap hitting mm-hmm. or if there's like out of bounds anywhere. But something, or if it's just like a routine two hundred to 250 foot forehand and it the forehand is like the obvious choice versus the backhand when i throw them i feel like they're giving me chances which is something in the past years i really haven't had yeah definitely you're having to throw the more technical turnover Mm -hmm. yeah uh how did you go about adding those things is it a lot of field work is it playing courses forehand only so my my home course most 16 of the 18 holes are in that like 175 to 300 foot range and so i'll just go like play only forehand rounds Mm -hmm. and i can i do really well at my home course probably just because i've thrown those shots hundreds of times with the forehand and so i can score really good at my home course with just forehands but you know once you get out to a new course and it's a new shot and it looks different um probably not scoring as well but I, what I tell people is I have the, I know I have the capability now. It's just the accuracy is still to be worked on, but I know I'm capable. Uh, what are we seeing in 2026? 2026. I don't know. Hopefully maybe a 50, 50 game. (laughs) I don't know. Um, no, I, I think I'll always be backhand dominant. Just that's how I've done it the last 10 years. But you know, if I can, sprinkle in some forehands off the tee when it's the easier shot, then I think that's a win. All right. Good deal. If you enjoyed the show, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at fish five, eight, three, two, zero. And if you hated the show and want to yell at somebody about it, where can folks find you, Andrew? 
They can find me on Instagram at prez017. Uh, and if folks want to support your tour, do you have any, any merch or discs for sale? Yeah, on the Ledgestone site, um, I highly recommend the Soft Zone. Uh, that's one of my discs on the Ledgestone site. It's probably the most thrown disc in my bag, just for the upshots. Um, great disc. Also, some drones on the Ledgestone site, some apparel. So the, uh, the Ledgestone site's the way to go if you want to support me. Okay, and what's your least favorite state that touches Missouri? That's got to be Nebraska. That's all for this episode of the Fish Golf Broadcast. But be sure to check out previous episodes and subscribe wherever fine podcasts are sold. Check out Fish Golf Broadcast hats and other apparel at discgolfbra.com and badger your friends until they listen too. Join us next time as I goad yet another guest into starting a fight with another touring player campsite host, or toll booth attendant on the Fish Golf Broadcast.